Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. Great to see you all here. Welcome. I'm very glad you're here. Have you ever wondered why movies like Star Wars, or you didn't expect Star Wars to be the opening line of my sermon, did you? Why movies like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Hunger Games, and I'm hoping by using those three movies, I catch the various different age groups in our church, why they are so popular, why they, they c- connect with us sort of at, a, at an emotional level. They're all epic stories of a dominant empire that holds everyone under its thumb. In each movie, there's a small band of people who know, kind of feel that there's another way to live, to truly live. And so they fight against this dominant empire. At the same time, they also recognize in each of those epic stories, they recognize that the, the thing that's wrong with the empire can also be wrong in them. That they are tempted to power, that they could be just like the oppressors that they're fighting against. Why do we love these stories? I suspect it's that we identify with them in some ways. Not in other ways. We don't identify with lightsabers, although it would be cool. It can feel like there are powers that are active in the world and that we are just too small to stop these powers. At the same time, we also recognize that we too easily get swept away in the ways of the world in these powers. It can be so, so hard to fight against them constantly, against the current. Just recently, uh, a 17-year-old girl in Singapore received a bag from her father. You may have seen this in social media. Received a bag from her father, and she called it a luxury bag. And she posted it on TikTok which was maybe her first mistake and was excited about this gift that her father had given her and was publicly shamed for calling the bag a luxury bag. It was a terrible display of humanity. She received a nice bag from her father. The label on the bag only matters in an empire mindset. It shows that society was more concerned about the designer label 
than about the well-being of a 17-year-old girl. Something as insignificant as brand labels, it's a small sign that our world is under the control of ungodly influences. We've allowed a narrative without hope to dominate our thinking and tragically the ways we treat one another. A couple of Sundays ago, I think it was a Sunday anyway, um, I sometimes listen to the radio station BFM. Um, and I like it because I get kind of interesting news about the business world of, of KL and Malaysia. But also they play like lots of good older rock and roll. But there was a song that was on the air that I had not heard before. It was older than my time. Um, but it struck me. The lyrics were, I, I was surprised to hear it in Malaysia. Let's just put it that way. It was called The Rivers of Babylon by Boney M. And I don't know anything about Boney M. This is not a Christian song, I don't think. But it's using this imagery of Babylon and Zion. I have a point here. The lyrics say, There the wicked carried us away in captivity, requiring of us a song. Now how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Now how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? It's actually capturing this biblical idea that we don't quite belong in a world in these in a world that's just carried away with other other priorities other things that consume the world and we can sometimes feel like strangers in this world we are in Isaiah and today we'll be in Isaiah chapter 33 So this marks halfway point in Isaiah. It's a very long book. Um, Isaiah 33 captures right from the get-go. It starts with, ah, you destroyer, who yourself have not been destroyed, you traitor, whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have finished betraying, they will betray you. We see the destruction of an empire. Here referring to the Assyrian Empire. And they thought they were indestructible. They were the ones that destroyed other kingdoms. And here now is the foretelling of their own destruction. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And this is what Isaiah has been saying from chapter one all the way through to the end. That God is orchestrating something bigger than the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms. Here in this chapter, it is Zion that captures our attention. And so this today we're going to talk about Zion, which may seem a little bit strange because it's not a topic that's necessarily on our lips in everyday conversation, but it is a very significant biblical term and idea. So we'll look at it in these 
four steps. What is Zion? Why should we want to see Zion? Why are we so far from Zion? Who can take us to Zion? So what is Zion? The Bible is filled with words and images that we don't always understand. The word Zion is used at least 152 times in the Bible, 46 times in the book of Isaiah. And it's used four times in this chapter, which is why we're kind of focusing in on this in today. Um, but it's an important theme in the Bible, you'll find. And I think it actually is used as a guiding light for God's people. Therefore, as God's people, it's a worthwhile way to spend our morning, to understand what Zion is and how it might influence the ways we live. There is a lot of confusion about Zion. It, its imagery, its name is used all over the place. If you were to walk into a local bookstore, even in the Malay section, you might see lots of books about Zionism and the threat of Zionism. That's not what we are talking about this morning. That's a political thing. Um, and probably 90% of that is conspiracy theory. And um, that's not what we're talking about. Or if you've watched the movie Matrix, uh, also probably pinpointing my age, um, that their destination is Zion. Very different Zion than what the Bible is talking about. That just seems to be like an endless rave, I think. And that's not what the Bible is talking about. So what is Zion? The Bible speaks about Zion in two ways. I'm, it's, I'm oversimplifying this, but um, I, there's no other way to do it in a, in a short sermon. You probably don't call them short, but. So there's a Zion of the past and a Zion of the future. Zion of the past is referring to literal Jerusalem prior to exile. Some would say Zion maybe specifically is referring to the Temple Mount, but other times it may be referring to the whole city. This is used less often in the Bible. Usually when Zion is referred to, it's referring to the Zion of the future. Um, most of the time when the Bible is speaking of the city of Jerusalem in its fallen state, it will use the term Jerusalem rather than Zion. Jerusalem was intended to be a model city for the world, a city that reflected the character and the glory of God himself. But this is not what happened. Jerusalem was no different than any other city, sadly. The problem is that people thought that their city was special because of the temple. But we see in Ezekiel that God removed his glory from the temple because God's people, their character did not reflect God, but reflected sinful human nature. Isaiah from chapter one alerts us to the fact that Jerusalem was not living up to its calling and that God was working something new. Some people have focused their attention, just as a little aside, 
Some people have focused their attention on trying to make Jerusalem of today the special city of God. But that is not something that is in our control. And I don't believe that's what God is calling us to do. We are called to prepare people for the new Jerusalem, Zion of the future. The Zion of the future is also a literal Jerusalem, but I would say the new Jerusalem. Isaiah takes readers from a time when Jerusalem was still the royal seat to a time when Jerusalem was conquered and the temple was destroyed. When when the Bible speaks of this Zion, the future Zion, it is talking about something beyond a mere city, but rather God's ultimate city, the new Jerusalem. I'm going to tread on dangerous ground here for a minute. So we often talk about heaven as our destination. And when we think about heaven, I I don't know what images fill your mind, but I think cartoon images more readily fill our minds about like clouds and harps and angels fluttering about or something. And, And that's really not the biblical image of where we are destined. The Bible speaks about our destination differently than it gets portrayed in popular culture. The future is a new heaven, a new earth, and describes our destination in city terms. It is heavenly because God is present in an amazing way in a way that we have never known his presence. It is earthly in that it features a river and at least one tree. I kind of hope there's more, but that's not in my control. I'm not, you know, part of the gardening sect and the the new heavens and new earth. The new heavens and new earth are described as this amazing recreation of of God's creation, where we are made whole, where we flourish as we were intended to, where it doesn't have the taint of sin. And because it doesn't have the taint of sin, it doesn't have the pain and the brokenness and the tears and the sickness that come with it. So why should we want to see Zion? Zion is the beautiful society of God's making. It's the answer to our gut instinct that we've been created for something better, more significant. What made the old Jerusalem significant? It was not because it was the most beautiful city. It was not because they had better falafels than anywhere else. It was not that the people were better in Jerusalem. They were not. There was one reason only that Jerusalem was set apart. That's because God was specially present there. God's glory filled the temple in Jerusalem. And just as God's glory filled the tabernacle during the time when God's people moved through the wilderness, in other words, it's not about the location so much as about God's glory. So here in Isaiah 33, 
we get an idea of what happens when God's glory inhabits a place. I'll read verses five and six. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. What is Zion's greatest asset? God. God dwells with his people. It's what makes Christianity different than other faiths that I'm aware of. Other faiths lead you to nirvana, a state where there is no desire or even sense of self, or to a paradise which is described without any reference to God. What makes Zion special? The ultimate promise in the Bible is that we dwell with God, and God's presence makes everything. Verses 19 to 22, you will see no more the insolent people, the people of an obscure speech that you cannot comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you cannot understand. Behold, Zion, the city of our appointed feasts, your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams where no galley with oars can go nor majestic ship can pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Zion is different because God makes it different. This week I was having a conversation with a a, a man from Turkey, a pastor in Turkey. He was raised in Germany, however. So he had this really interesting observation. Uh, he, he was talking about Turkey being a place where there's just no, no trust in society. And where he grew up in Germany, he said it was just a very trusting society. Shop owners would just trust their employees. Neighbors can count on one another. And the contrast was shopkeepers in Turkey had to keep a tight eye on their employees or they would get cheated. And he recognized that Germany had long lost it. You know, there, there aren't as many who would call themselves Christians, but that there was this development over time because of a Christian heritage that had created trust in society. Now, his fear is that they will lose that over time. The more they disconnect from who God is, the more they will disconnect from the, the life that comes with that. When we set our eyes on Zion and, the, and God is judge, lawgiver, and king, it changes us here and now. In other words, we were made for this future society, for Zion, and we should begin living that way now. Disneyland was created to be 
the happiest place on earth. They designed the whole experience to be amazing from the time that you enter until the time you leave. Now, I had planned to talk about Disneyland today, and strangely, in our ride to church this morning, Disneyland came up, and Jaden said they design it to be an immersive experience so that you can't see the parking lot, that they have no buildings over 200 feet, because if you did, you'd have to put like airline lights so that it would warn the airlines not to hit it. Like they make the whole thing so that you just are unaware of the world around it. They're, they advertise it like this, discover a place that has all the happy you never knew could exist. So you're a new kind of happy every time you visit. That's a fabulous promise. When the boys were young, we went to Disneyland in LA. And after a full day there, I think Jaden said it was the best day of his life. That's pretty good. But can Disneyland really deliver on this day after day? I mean, it can deliver this experience for a day. Or maybe even if you like just super love Mickey Mouse or something, maybe even a week. That's pushing it. The rides will get old. The parade and the fireworks will lose their appeal. The inauthentic life would, be, would reveal itself. In other words, the best earthly option can only deliver temporary happiness. Zion, however, does not fade because God's glory is brilliant anew every day in Zion. In Zion, there is trust and justice and love and a king that makes it so. Isaiah knows the people of Jerusalem are about to go through a very hard time of capture, being ruled over, their most precious things destroyed, their dignity destroyed. And when all that happens, it may seem like God is not in control. And we may, too, go through very difficult times that may feel like what's happening. Is God in control? And what Isaiah is saying here is actually God is in control and actually God is behind some of these difficult things that are happening. That temporary power, possessions, and pleasure, they are not what we've been created for. Isaiah's vision of Zion is giving language for God's people to endure difficulty with hope. So why are we so far from Zion? We are far from Zion because we get drawn into this other way of living. We settle for the idols of our heart, the lure of temporary happiness, 
the pull of power and ambition, the draw of the wide road that leads to destruction. All of these things capture our hearts and blind us to the better alternative, the narrow road to Zion. Verses 14 to 16, we say this, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. The stark reality of the narrow road is made clear here. Who among us could make it through a purifying fire? If you begin to account for the treasures in your life, what is of lasting value? What would make it through a purifying fire? When we commit our heart to the things of this world, we're working hard at building on something that will burn away. When I was a kid, I used to enjoy making sandcastles in Port Dixon, actually. And when it gets to later afternoon, the, the tide starts coming in, and my creation that I've labored for is now threatened. And I remember trying to build sand walls to stop the oncoming waves, and then trying to dig trenches to stop the oncoming waves, and then trying to build a intricate network of walls and trenches to stop the oncoming waves. And you know what happens. You come back the next morning. Did it work? No. My efforts were wasted. There was nothing I could do with sand that would be able to start, stand up to the waves. They were wiped out in a few moments of just ordinary waves. These were not tsunami waves that are wiping away my sandcastle. These are just everyday, ordinary waves. What are you investing in? What do you give your time to? Where does your money go? Will these stand up to this purifying fire? Are they of lasting value? There was a band I used to listen to about 25 years ago called P.O.D. And they have a song about Zion. Set your eyes to Zion. It began with, it's sung, I'm not going to sing it for you because we would all regret that. But uh, he starts off with, it's in a, more of a reggae style. Here, Mr. Deadman, rejoice. Back in the day when man, he paved the way, fell in temptation, sin spread through the nation. 
lead me salvation and pierce these palms of holy hands. Who is the son of man? Take me to the promised land. It captures an important truth. They are saying very nearly what Isaiah is saying. People are sin carriers, contagious with evil, spreading it to everyone. Sin is a terminal illness. It spells death for everyone under its long shadow. That's why P.O.D. says, hey, Mr. Deadman, what is your record like? But this band, P.O.D., they're not in despair because their eyes are set on Zion. But this Zion seems beyond reach. We cannot get there. We are not among the righteous who can just walk into Zion. We need one who can lead us there. So who can take us to Zion? Verses 22 to 24 say this, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Your cords hang loose. They cannot hold the mast firm in its place or keep the sail spread out. They pray and spoil in abundance will be divided. Even the lame will take the prey and no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people will dwell, who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. For Zion, uh, for some, Zion is super scary. For those whose hearts are set on themselves or their interests, the things we do in this life, whether we know it or not, are preparation for the life to come. The really alarming thing is this. We, we spend so much of our lives This is stated strongly, but I'm going to say it anyway. We spend so much of our lives preparing for life and health. And this passage calls us to lift our eyes from a world that pulls us deeper and deeper into its ways. We lift our eyes to the Lord, who is our judge, who is our lawgiver, who is our king, because he will save us. How will we ever make it to Zion? The world's ways are too deeply set within us. Verse 24 offers a clue. The physical illness and the spiritual illness are both taken care of by God. Those who live in Zion do not get there by their own merit. They did not just become good enough on their own. God sent his son, Jesus, into our messed up world. But he did not take on the ways of the world. He was the righteous one. But instead of entering Zion directly, he gave his life on the cross, taking our sin and shame to the cross. Why? so that we might have life. Zion is Jesus' destiny, and for those who find life in Jesus, 
then it is your destiny. If you have not placed your trust in Jesus, then Zion will not be your destiny. For those of you who have, who have put their faith in Jesus, it is time that you set your eyes on Zion. Live now like that. Stop playing the world's games. In Christ Jesus, Zion is our destiny. So three quick takeaways for us this morning. First, seek forgiveness made possible by God. That is, we cannot be good enough on our own. And so, come before God who longs to extend forgiveness to you. And this was made possible because of Jesus' death on the cross. Secondly, Set your eyes on the city of God's making. And and the only way I know to do that is to, to dwell on the things of God. Read the Bible. Read it regularly. Begin to soak in the themes of Scripture, of God's ways. We take in so much stuff from the world. We don't, we're not aware of it all. And so the only way to do that is to start taking in more of this and less of that. Thirdly, as you do that, begin to develop the values of God's city. Miles earlier said, we are a church family. That means that we should be, as the church in KL, among, uh, as with other churches in KL, we should be the closest thing to what it's like in Zion. We should love each other well. And when we mess up, we should forgive each other. We should love others well. We should serve well. We should care for each other. Well. But we can only do that by taking in the values of what God's people should be like. 